Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's working! <laughs> so we, we, we do want to go on record that, that, that Brian broke it. I didn't. <laughs> because it was weird last night. I handed it to him. So, yes, and all that. Yeah, that's... I hate that button. Why, why do you even need that button? should be much... It should be a whole lot more difficult to, to touch. But anyway, back to Bible and God and stuff like that. God will always maintain a remnant so that things can continue. That's, that's his promise to his people. So I will allow all these bad things to happen to you, but I will make sure there is a remnant. And you got to look at it this way. God does that for himself, right? If he goes to all the trouble of establishing his people, of, of creating the world and you know, doing all that he's done, he's not going to let you and I screw this up, right? He will always maintain a remnant so that his, his story, his life, his, his love, all that he is will continue. He will not allow himself to be completely erased from the planet. So interesting as we get into, I think, chapter 14, you will see, though, how that happens to the Babylonians. Completely erased from, from, from history. So we can do that, but God will not allow himself to have that happen to him. So the first 11 chapters is this prophecy against the Jews. Now, all the people, particularly King Ahaz, the leader, but for the entire nation as well because they're dumb enough to follow the leader. They should have realized that this is a bad leader making this alliance. Why? Where's God in this? Somebody should ask the question. No one did. Therefore, they get the same punishment that the king does. There is no differentiation at that point. So in other words, there, there is not a, a worse hell for really, really bad people. By the same time, there's not a better heaven for really, really good people. Right? You're either in or you're out. So, and we're going to see evidence of that again in, 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 in chapter 14. So, that's the plan. That's the way it was. That's the way it is. And that's the way it always shall be. God has the plan. And we're going to see that too, twice. Uh, this is my plan. And guess what? You aren't going to change it. That'll humble you in a hurry. You mean we can't figure something out and fix it without God? That's correct. So, God's will will be done, period. So 11 chapters against the Jews. Now, for the next chapters, 20-some-odd chapters, up to chapter 36 is going to be a little different. I'll come back to that in a minute. Starting in chapter 36 now, we're going to go to King Hezekiah and see now pretty much the opposite, that after all these bad things have happened, King Hezekiah now will, in fact, lead God's people back to God. So the first verse of chapter 36 states that King Hezekiah put on sackcloth and threw ashes on himself, the sign of repentance. 
right? So he's modeling now to the people, this is what we need to do. We need to return to the Lord. We need to repent and return to the Lord. So, but we got to wait until chapter 36 to see that. So the first 11 chapters, gloom and doom against the Jews. All these next chapters up to 36 is going to be about the gloom and doom for virtually every other culture and nation in the world. If they too do what the Jews are doing. So even though these are God's people, the rule is the same, whether God likes you or not. That if you disobey him, if you reject him, if you uh, make alliances against him, uh, if you do any of this stuff, that's all considered sin. So sin is sin. Doesn't matter whether you're a pagan or whether you're, you're a believer. Sin is sin. The consequence, the result, the, the punishment is still the same. That's how it works. So basically these next chapters now are going to be God's efforts to re-educate his people. He's going to make it abundantly clear, as if he hasn't already, but he's going to work with them like they're, they're in school. They need to understand this is what, what I am about, and I want you to return to me. So God just wants to teach his people how to act, which certainly implies that they have forgotten how to act, which by what we've seen so far in the first 11 chapters, yeah, that's exactly right. They have forgotten, totally. Not just the king, but all his people. They've forgotten and they can't remember how they should interact with God. So these next chapters are going to teach us how foolish it is to put our trust in anything except God. And it's especially bad when you, you place the, the safety and security of the entire nation. You take that away from God and place that in the hands of someone else. And that could be your own military might. Uh, that's going to be the charge against the Babylonians. You guys think you're, you're, you're so great militarily. Well, watch this. Ha! Right? So um, you know, when you put, put it into your own military or an alliance with somebody else in their military, that's what really makes God angry because that will not solve your problem. Your problem is simply a, a spiritual problem that we need to come back to God. So we're going to go down over these next chapters, basically going down a list of every culture in the world. And God is going to have something to say about each and every one of them. Uh, the Babylonians are so bad, in fact, we're going to hit them in chapter 13 and come back to them again in chapter, I think, 21. Yeah. So a reprise for, for how bad the Babylonians are. <laughs> right? But again, notice the uniformity of what God says. You have rejected me, therefore this is the punishment. That's just going to be the mantra. It's not going to be something different for each nation. It's going to be the same thing over and over and over again. And the same will be true for any of us, for our nation, for anyone in this world. That's God's policy. It always has been, always will be. It will be the same. So, 12.1. In that day I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Now, you got to refer back to what we talked about last week in chapter 11. What day is this? This is a continuation of chapter 11. What, what, what day were we talking about last week? Who finally comes? Jesus, Jesus right. Stump and Jesse, you know, the root, the, you know, all that, right? So, yes. So this is a continuation of that, that thought. So in that day, when, when Jesus 
comes into full glory. In that day, look what, what is going to happen. Because of that, I will praise you. But wait. You're angry with me. Yet I will praise you. Now that's, that's powerful stuff. Have any of you raised a teenager? Yes, <laughs> we're not sure who's ready. It's like when you take a big dog out for a walk, isn't it? Who's, who, who's taking who for a walk here? Can you remember a time with your teenager that you made it abundantly clear what the rule was? Curfew or don't associate with that kid or whatever. This is an activity I will not tolerate. And your child did it. And you caught him. Did any of you at that point look at your child and say, I am so mad at you. I am cutting you off. I will never speak to you again. You are not allowed in my house. You can wander in the wilderness for all the more I care. I no longer have you as a son or a daughter. No. You never did that, did you? Interesting. We are created in the image of God. And if we have the capacity to be really mad at somebody and yet still love that person, how much more do you think God has that capacity? Right? So, I mean, first 11 chapters, he's really mad. I mean, it's, you know, they broke curfew like every night. Um, yeah, this is, this is bad. Really bad. Well, what, one of the problems parents do today is they get mad, but they don't allow the consequence of breaking the rules to come upon the child. That's the, the education part. That's where parents, for quite a few years now, have, have dropped the ball in, in, in being like God. You know, we're created in His image. We can be like God. We can see how God treats us as His children. That's all we need to do with our children, is just do the exact same thing our Heavenly Father does with us. It's perfect. So there's always a consequence for sin. And children need to learn that. It's a great educational tool. It's called discipline. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. If necessary, you beat them, right? <laughs> so that's always the policy with God. So in this day now when, when Jesus is, is with us and offers to us salvation, even though we have sinned, even though we are remorseful, even though we're, we're shamed, uh, even though we know that there is no means physically, spiritually, or otherwise that we can make this happen with God, that we can come into right relationship with him, nonetheless, we will praise God because we know that in Jesus, the path is made, made clear for us. Now that's praiseworthy, if I've ever seen praiseworthy. Now, chapter 12 is a, a quick chapter, and it basically... Is, it's saying the same thing over and over again. There's, there's one major theme of what Isaiah is saying we will do. What's, what's the one main thing that, that we do in response to this love of God? Thanksgiving. What's that? Thanksgiving, uh, praise, uh, yeah, words like that. Uh, that's a response. That's a much better response than, God, I hate you. I reject you. Right? So when we realize that, then this is our natural response. 
we bring our thanks and our praise to God. I mean, first line, I will praise you. So thanking God and praising God are very closely aligned. It's hard to actually split them apart. I mean, that's what a lot of our worship is, is just thanking God for his greatness and more than that, his desire to be with us. All right, Emmanuel, God with us. That's, that's the beauty of all of this. So yes, verse, verse 5, our response you know, is, is singing, right? Worship, praise. Now, have you ever been to a, a sporting event when something really exciting happens on the field, somebody catches you know, a, you know an eighty yard, you know, runs an eighty yard uh, touchdown, you know, just you know the the, the immaculate reception, uh, just you know an incredible play. Somebody just does something a, a, athletic that you, you can't even imagine doing yourself, and you witness that. You're in the stands, and everybody in the whole stadium stands up and cheers. Do you, do you just sit there and say, no, oh, that, was, that was pretty good. That was, that was, that was all right. That was, hmm. don't, don't you stand? I mean, we do waves and we do everything. And, and yeah, when something really incredible happens, we're on our feet and shouting. Look, look at verse 6. You don't just... In response to God's goodness in your life, you don't just say to God, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> Big whoop. Thank you, God. Right? This is something that is so incredible that we have to shout about it. We have to tell others about it. I mean, that's the way God has always been. That's what he expects our response to be. And so our joyfulness, our jubilation, our, our excitement expressed certainly in worship, but in everyday life is one of the best witnesses we have for Jesus. I mean, have you ever been excited about something? A car, some product you bought? Some restaurant you went to and you got an incredible service, an incredible meal. Don't you run out and tell people about that? Don't you somehow figure out a way, thank you, to, to work that into the, the, the conversation somehow? Well, then why, why don't we do that with Jesus? Right? We're supposed to shout and sing for joy. Not sing for, you know, mediocrity. Yeah, I love you, Lord. Right? To get excited. So I, I, I believe one of the best witness, witnesses we could have for Christ is simply a smile on our face. Because <coughs> you know what a sad face you know, conveys? Sadness, right? So if you have this relationship with Jesus, right, even though he's angry at us, we're still offered salvation. If that doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what will. And that's one of the problems that we have today. That we're, we're just not willing to get excited for Jesus. 
It's just, you know, the humdrum, the routine, the whatever. It's like, this is a relationship. This isn't going through the motions. This isn't just showing up for an hour on Sunday morning and going to Sunday school and, you know, and all of that. This is the relationship. This is getting excited about Jesus so that it comes out of our faces. And believe me, if you're in a room full of people and everybody's all upset and, and you know, fighting and everything else and you're just sitting there with a smile on your face, you're the only one in the room, people are going to come to you and ask you why. So you got this big smile on your face. Anyone come to you? Whatever you do, don't do this. You know, when they ask you, you know, why, 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 why are you so happy? And you say, well, I love Jesus. I just, uh... No, you want to grab him by the shoulder and say, I love Jesus, right? You want to the enthusiasm, the excitement. And again, I will hearken you back to uh, the one church in Revelation that they're one. Sin, they're one crime. They did incredible things. The best church you've ever seen in your life. They're one thing that they fell short on that Jesus says, if you don't get this right, you're not getting in. All your works will mean nothing if you don't return to your first love. Now, those of us have been married for a long time, and, <laughs> you know, it just, yeah. It does change when you're in love for a long period of time. But unless you return to that first love, unless you, 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 you get that, you know, your, your heart skips a beat when you see the one you love <laughs> across the room type of thing, right? You know, that kind of thing. To have that kind of relationship with, with, with Jesus. When, when you see, see someone here at the church do, do something that just, I mean, that was just like what Jesus would do. And go over and encourage that person. I mean, it, go with that, that kind of excitement. Unless we're doing that, then we need to read that letter again in Revelation. That this is, this is what's going to happen. We will be rejected. If we're just doing the right thing without that level of shouting aloud and singing with joy. So, have fun with that. So, I mean, I've told the story on, on, my, on myself for, for many years about when the, you know, we first started getting wireless microphones and sometimes there in worship, we'd, we'd pipe it over to the nursery so the nursery people would still be part of the worship service and uh, sometimes for the last hymn, I'd forget to turn the microphone off and so I'd be singing a solo to the people in the... In, <laughs> now, as bad as that is, since I, I, I'm a terrible singer, worse yet would be if they didn't hear me singing at all, right? So, well, but what I'm talking is, is the, the witness, yeah, evangelism, whatever you want to call that, is 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 simply allowing the faith to come out of us. And like I say the best way I know how to do that, at the very least, put a smile on your face. Because there's a lot of gloom and doom out there, and uh, when they see that, you're you're different. Again, that's that's the definition of a saint. It's just somebody who's different, who's different than the culture around you. So when you start standing out, just because you have this 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 joy, it makes all the difference in the world. And and why wouldn't we have this joy? I mean, look at the verse two. You know, look at our God. He is strength. He's a song and he's salvation. He's a lot more, but that's good enough for me. 
That, this is who God is. So we need to be very clear that we are the ones who are called Jesus' ambassadors to take who he is and represent him to others, who he really is. So if we come across all gloomy and doomy and all of that type of thing, then people are going to get the impression, well, being a Christian means that you've got to be really sad and, and all that. Try joy. I've never done a cartwheel. I probably never, never will, but, I mean, at least in your heart, do a cartwheel, <laughs> right? Get a little giddy for Jesus. You, you not only have my permission, I, I'm encouraging you to do that. That you know, when, when, when all of us you know, are like that, it's, it, it's absolutely incredible that we can interact in various ways so that we can share this joy. And along those lines, let me, let me give you a, a public service announcement. I, I would like to offer you the opportunity to share this joy of Jesus with children. I mean, what better group of people to share it with, right? Than for children to see in us adults joy. You know, kids get excited about stuff. They need to see us get excited about stuff. So I invite you to the exciting world of the JAM program. Uh, in, in particular, we need something as simple as some of you guys to be shepherds. Not every week. A couple weeks a year. At the 11 o'clock time slot. Um, a shepherd is just an extra set of hands in the room with the kids. And when a kid has to go to the bathroom, you take him to the bathroom. So you can explain it better than me. <laughs> That's it. You don't have to prepare anything. Right. You don't have to do anything You're, except occasionally pass some Bibles out or whatever. Or sometimes sit next to someone who's a little bit of a problem yep. and just say, Right. So you're not teaching, you're not preparing a lesson, you're you're not talking to a group, which scares a lot of people. Fortunately, we got other people that are willing willing to do those kind of jobs. We just need some shepherds. We need we need people that you know, and what what better than you know a grand grandparent type person like us that could walk in there and, and just say, wow, I have the joy of Jesus and it'll be my joy to take you to the, ba the bathroom, Billy. <laughs> or, Billy, sit there and shut up and yeah. <laughs> listen to this story about Jesus, <laughs> if you have to. Right? But just, you know, just little things like that. And men in particular, we need men. Because believe it or not, there's something about the presence of a male in the room that helps keep kids calm. <laughs> there just is. So, yeah, we need guys, we need women, we need everybody. So, if you have an interest in that, we'll get you signed up. Like I say, it's not every week. Yeah, our goal is to get enough people that you know we don't have to, you know, one one week a year, two weeks. I mean, because everybody just gets on a rotating cycle. But this is an incredible opportunity to be able to share Jesus with with kids. To show them that, that, that joy that, that we adults have in, in Christ our Lord. So contact me. Give, give uh, uh, Taryn a call. Um, 
get yourself signed up. But you will definitely make Karen's day because she's she, she's in need of, uh, of of some people just just to do that. It sounds simple, but it's it's critically important to the program. You'll make your own day too, and yeah. you'll be so blessed. You learn so much more from the kids than I even do from the Bible studies. I'm telling you, I know, I know. Wow. Yep. You because run into that too. It, you, you, you hear God filter through a child's mind. Mm -hmm. And that, that is one of the greatest blessings, mm -hmm. is just to sit down and, 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 and talk to kids. You know, Art, Art Linkletter had oh, yeah, the, the, the smartest idea ever. Just sit down and talk to kids. I mean, that, Lord knows what they're going to say. <laughs> now, I got that. Judy is a lot braver than I am. Yeah, she, she, she asks the kids question in children's sermons. I, I, I just... Yeah, I learned a long time ago. That's 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 too scary for me because you don't know what you're going to say. It uh, just just amazing, but you know, God love you, Judy. You're you're, you're a brave woman. <laughs> it's a brave or dumb, I'm not. Sure. Well, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out too. <laughs> but it, it it's amazing just to be in the presence of kids. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I can't do it. I'm, I'm doing other stuff at eleven o'clock, but. Uh, um, it, it's just an incredible opportunity to, yeah, and especially for you know us grandparenty type people to, 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 to be in it. I mean, Sue, Sue's been super active in the program since pretty much day one. Yeah, yeah. since I got here. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just been, been 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 forever. So yeah, she 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 speaks the truth of the of the blessing it gives to us. I mean, we're we're there thinking, well, I'm going to bless these kids. Well, yeah. you you walk away from that. Don't you walk away every Sunday with a smile on your face? Yeah, because it just and giggling, absolutely. it just because of, of what they say and how uh, what they do and everything. It's it's it, it's it's awesome. So so adopt some kids here at the church and you know be be a parent or grandparent. And we don't have to wear costumes anymore. When I first started, the that's right. Costumes. That's right. Yeah, they were in in Which period garb. Maybe somewhat yeah. negative yes. problems. <laughs> so we don't make you do that no. anymore. Yep. No costumes. Cool beans. Well, anyway. There's your commercial for the day, and that's about all I want to say about Chapter 12. A really short chapter, one major theme, but boy, is it just, what an excellent, excellent chapter. I just, just love it. And what other thoughts do you have in Chapter 12? This reminds me of a song. Yes. I mean, it's it, almost it, like it, I'm, I had to look and make sure I was reading yeah. Isaiah <laughs> because it, it just seemed like a song. Indeed, very psalmish. <laughs> that's a new verb. That's a, it really emphasizes something we don't like to think about God and the fact that he can get angry. We don't like to picture him as being angry. We like him loving and so forth. And Just all cuddly. forget that side of it. Yeah. Cud cuddly God, right? He, he would never get mad at me. Yeah. Which basically means that he's going to give me everything I want. It doesn't work that way, right? So, yes. This, this is a true depiction of God. It's, it's both. And again, yeah, we... We figured it out when we deal with, you know, especially people that we say we love is, you know, I'm really mad at you, but my love is greater than, than my anger. And that's exactly what we, we see here with God. Let's try chapter 13. This begins now a, a prophecy against Babylon. Now, here's the fun part. At this point in history... Babylon is not even a culture yet. They have no idea who Babylon is. <laughs> right? This is so far in the future that you know, God, God is sharing with them, these guys are coming. Seriously, be, be like, you know, 
you're in 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 Europe in the 1400s and say, well, I'm 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 going to get on a boat and, and and go to the United States of America. What? It's like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of them before. Where where are they? Well, they're not not here yet. Won't be here for a couple hundred years. So God is revealing, unveiling what the future really is. So the main point of all of this, all these verses here, is that God knows that the Babylonians are primarily concerned with, with wealth and material goods. They're all about the money. So what we see throughout this chapter is God picking apart and naming everything they value and saying how he is going to take it away from them. That's pretty good discipline, right? Again, don't parents do that with kids? Your favorite toy? When I discipline you, I'll take that away from you. They get to be a little older. Worst thing you could, just death, death for kids. Take your phone away from you. Yep, so that's what God does. You know, you guys are not, not learning, so I'm just going to start taking away all your toys. One by one. So basically, this is just a laundry list of toys that the Babylonians hold dear. The things they value, God says, you are going to lose. But not only lost, taken from you. I'm going to have somebody else come in and take them from you, and whatever they don't take, I'm going to allow the hyenas and the jackals to come in and live in your homes. <laughs> right? So all the things you value, you are going to see either destroyed or used by somebody else. But the bottom line is you are going to lose everything. So just to make this point, though, see, God is using nature and another culture, another military to take them over. But notice how many times in this chapter God uses the pronoun I. I'm doing this. So he wants the point made clear so that they, they, they're not confused when it happens. It's not a, 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 an accident that this other country comes in and takes you over. It's not by accident that these hyenas and jackals come in and take you over. It's because I, the one true God, have brought this upon you. God wants to be very, very clear on that. So, first couple verses then just, you know, begin to describe how, how all this is going to happen. Uh, verse 6, again, a mention of the day of the Lord is near. Now, that's a different day, uh, more like judgment day. It's going to come like a destruction from the Almighty. Uh, because of this, verse 7, all hands will go limp, every man's heart will melt, terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other. Their faces aflamed. Well, that sounds great. Sign me up for that. Right? Where do I sign? Then verse 9. Another, yeah, see, the day of the Lord. It's coming. It's a cruel day. So this isn't, this isn't the same day of the Lord that we just talked about in chapter 12. This is a different day. This is more judgment day type stuff. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Is he talking about Babylon or Babylonians coming into Jerusalem? This is, this is after the Babylonians take over and all those generations, yes, the, the, the Babylonian captivity. This is at the end of this cycle. That's the thing. That's, that's yeah, hundreds of years down the road. 
that um, that's what I'm saying. There, you know, the project. Not, not even a nation. No, no, that's what I mean. It just you'd be reading that and say, "What in the world are you talking about?" <laughs> right. So, so, but this is this is what's what's going to happen. And sure enough, the the pages of history bear this out. This is, this is exactly what happened. So this day is coming. Now, verse ten: the stars of the heaven and the constellations will not show their light. Um, Talk about stars. Hmm. Do do we not describe really good sports figures as stars? The star quarterback. Do do we not describe uh, uh, musicians as stars? Hmm. We're not the first to do that. They've done that for thousands of years. There's there's always been this belief of. Um, each star is a is a person, and there are some cultures that, that that believe that you know when you you know when really famous people die, a new star is born. Other cultures believe that the stars actually a star will come down to earth and become a human. <laughs> a star, right? You're a star. How weird! But look what God's saying in verse ten. You guys are idiots. That's not what happens. And I'm going to prove it to you by making all the stars go out. <laughs> right? They're going to disappear. They're going to go black. And it'll be me, the true God, who does that. God is going to show his power by even turning the stars off. Look at verse 11. Not a pleasant verse. I'm going to punish the world for, for its evil, but it... It, it, it says in the first part, evil and sin. Right? See that? Those two things linked together. Then the second half of the, of the verse, there's arrogance and pride. So their arrogance and pride means simply that, as King Ahaz was doing, is that I can, I can take care of myself. I don't need God which then obviously is described as evil or sin. To that end, God is saying that, well, I give you free will to do that, but I will have the last word. You don't get the last word. I get the last word. And my last word is, look, look at verse 11, is punishment or I will put an end to you. Well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> right? But again, you know, God, th this is the plan. If you continue on this path, then this is what will happen to you. And again, again, that's for any of us, for anyone in the world, anyone who has ever lived, that's always, always, always God's policy. That's his rule. That doesn't change. Look at verses 14 to 16. Basically saying that even the strongest men of Babylon will be no match for what God is doing. They're not going to be able to protect their wives, their children's, their children, or their homes and property. And after this whole chapter, which seems to be pretty complete and whole, again, chapter 21, we're going to reprise it. We're going to make it even more awful. Verse 17, the Medes. 
Mamim's living in what we would know today as Iran. So these are, you know, Babylon is in that general region too. So, you know, Iran, Iraq, Syria, you know, all those countries in present day were all these peoples that we're talking about now. Uh, they've always been against God. They continue to be against God. There's nowhere I can find in Scripture that they will ever change that model. Right? They will always, always, always be against God. Now, the Medes are an interesting group. They're not big enough to have their own huge military machine to beat the Babylonians. But look what they do. And as we keep reading, we're going to see that. We, we certainly see it in the pages of, uh, of history. The Medes know that we, we can't take over the world ourselves, so the next best thing we can do is ally ourselves with the ones who are. So the same the Babylonians, now the new kids on the block, getting pretty strong, they say, we'll throw in with you. So they ally themselves with the Babylonians. But over the course of time, when they see the Babylonians start to, to waver a little bit, to, to shrink down a little bit, to not be quite as strong, and then they look across the, the street and see these Persians coming, and they're now building like crazy. The Medes quickly jump from the Babylonians to the Persians, because the Persians are the ones who defeat the Babylonians next. So Babylonians defeat the Assyrians, Persians defeat the Babylonians. And we just you know, have cycles of this. But the Medes are real smart in, in jumping ship right at the right time and aligning themselves with the new kids on the block. Pretty cool stuff. Now, as, as we keep reading here, you know, we're talking about Babylon and talking about uh, uh, verse 18, uh, you know, no compassion for the children. Uh, and uh, verse 19 is going to become, become like Sodom and Gomorrah, completely, completely obliterated from the face of the earth. Um, in fact, that is what has happened. We don't know where Babylon is. Generally, but we do. It, I mean, later on, it's good. I mean, it, it's within a few generations, it, the memory of, of it is gone. As great as they were, the memory of them is gone. Literally stricken from our memories. God says this is what's going to happen. And that is, in fact, what has happened. God says that this area is going to be overrun. Verse 21, we have owls and hyenas and jackals and, and all that. So basically, all these wild animals, dog-like creatures are just going to take over the area. That's what's happening. Some translations have foxes. God's word came true. So basically, if you want to be remembered, you, you better be with God. Because who really wants to re remember evil? I mean, yuck. I went to the, uh, the Holocaust Museum some years ago, and it's just you know, heart-wrenching and, and just, I mean, awful. I mean, just, oh. I, I have no desire to go back and revisit that. I, I really don't. Now, we, we, we got out to the, uh, the new ark out in, in Kentucky this past summer. That I want to go back to, but, you know, but the, you know, the bad stuff is just, you don't want to keep revisiting that. Just, so, 
we just kind of strike that from our memory. It's so much better to remember the good things. But what God is saying is, you're continuing on this arrogance and pride-based life. The end result is, we're just not going to remember you anymore. Hyenas and jackals and owls will take over everything and that'll be it. Doesn't sound too good. Her days will not be prolonged. So again, you know, we, we, we talked some weeks ago about you know, God giving us chances. And whether it's individuals or a nation, we have so many chances. And when that is done, that is done. End of the story. The days will not be prolonged. So we're still here on planet Earth because God in his mercies is giving us chances. But there is going to come that day when, nope, that's the end. That's why Jesus says be ready because when that happens, it's going to come in the blink of an eye, he says. And you're either ready or you're not. And if we're not ready, then we're going to be left here with all, all this nonsense. <coughs> so that's my expert analysis of chapter 13. What expert things do you have to say? Impress me with, with an intelligent question or some profound statement. Or if you have a commercial too, on, I'd be willing to accept that. <laughs> what kind of time frame did, uh, did it take for Babylon to be destroyed? Well, they, they, they rose to power, came, took over Israel, carted all those people off, and it was, it was 140 years. They are slaves in, in Babylon. And that's when you know Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in that last generation then to 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 return to Israel. But so yeah, it's a couple hundred year period. Was it seventy? Well, then the what? seventy years in Babylon. They were seventy years in Babylon. Good. Okay. Yeah. And then the Persians took over. Right. Yeah. But then you know King Darius of the the the, the Persian king then says, okay, yeah, you guys have been here long enough. Go ahead and go home. So, yeah, and we talked about that a, few, a week or two ago, that, you know, can God use even a pagan leader, a pagan king or president or whoever, and the answer is yes. So, we, all the time. So that's why it also says that God has, God is the one who has instituted or authorized all governments, all leaders to be in their place. So God is the one who allowed Hitler to be... That'll, that'll twist your head around real fast, won't it? It's like, what? Um, but as bad as Hitler was, I mean, Stalin was a lot worse. I mean, Stalin, Stalin's the, the biggest murderer in all of history. I forget, you know, 20, 30 million people, I can't remember. I lost, lost that number too, so it's just crazy. Mostly his own people. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of bad people, but all of them are in, in place to somehow bring God's will to fruition. Now, God, God didn't say, well, we need a Hitler, I'm going to create a Hitler. But when Hitler comes into power, he says, well, I can still use that. Much the same as he's, he's able to use, you know, King Ahaz, as bad as he is, because that'll bring the people back through that remnant and, 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 and restore them. So, it's all part of the great mysteries of God. Well, isn't it better, though, to remember <coughs> things like Babylon and Hitler to learn from them. You would think, wouldn't you? And not make now, now let me ask you a question. Mistakes? 
after 5,000 years, 5,500 years of human history and all the mistakes that have been made, have we in fact learned? No. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was going to ask that question, yes. didn't you? Yeah. See, and, you know, history does repeat itself, and we're, we're that dumb. We, you know, you, that's the purpose of it, that we would learn. So, yes, there are some of us that are smart enough to figure this out. And we say that, well, if that's what's going to happen, then I decide I don't want that for my life. So I will change. I will humble myself. I will repent. I will come before the Lord, and I will trust in Him and Him alone. So, therefore, the, uh, the, the statement that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it is kind of overrated. Oh. No, I, th I, I think that's, that's accurate, but it's... But we've done it so so long. Yeah, it really has has no meaning for us because even if, even if it's uh, not ignored, right? We still we still repeat it, like you're saying. So therefore, uh, either way, the important thing is to where your focus is, not yes. But focus on good and you focus on God instead of focusing on the evil. But on the other hand, do you need to still be able to recognize evil? You say, and that's what I, you know. Well, and my my response to that would be: we all have the capacity to recognize evil. We we know the difference between good good and evil. Whether we study history or not. Precisely. Yeah. Yes, we have the truth of Christ in us. Therefore, we know the difference. The problem is that yeah, you know, that's the nature of sin. That we're going to talk about here in a minute is that we we just decide to disobey God. We we know what the options are, and we choose wrong. That's what history keeps keeps showing. Now we, we've already discussed of how how uh, the similarities we see in this time to America today, but the it'll blow your mind to look at uh, the later years of the Roman Empire and compare that to America today with the the lacks of moral values in particular. Um, that was the beginning of the end for the Roman Empire. That a, a totally unorganized uh, backward culture came in and defeated the greatest mil military machine the world has ever seen. <laughs> because they were just so so uh, pursuing uh, pleasure that you know anybody could just walk in and take take take, take over their store. You know, it was just amazing. So um, that would be a good good lesson to learn for today. That you know well, that happened back then and why do we think we can do it any different? But uh, you know the, the similarities with, with with Rome and America today are very very striking. And uh, if we stay on the same path as they did, I dare say the results will will be the same. And in the end, we'll we'll say, oh gee, I should should learn. Goodly. Yes, uh, but going back to to chapter twelve, what we need to remember through all of this is surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not. Be afraid. Don't don't call me Shirley. Yeah. For he is my strength, my song, and my salvation. Right. That's that's what we need to know. And then, you know, I, I again, you know, we do know that. Mm -hmm. Everybody on earth knows that. But we don't see evidence of many people responding affirmatively to that. Yes. It's it's easy to 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 doubt, easy to forget, easy to to put aside, or easy to substitute. You see, that's the problem then and, and today is you know, the idol, finding something else to replace God. Today what we're seeing is individuals are much the same as they did back then. I, I am a God. Uh, we're going to see that in chapter 14. 
that, that, that idea that I don't need God, why would I need God? I am God. We don't need two of us. So I don't believe in the, the, the one true God, therefore I will make myself a God. In your own mind, but the end result of that is, is not good at all. I just heard that on a, on a religious talk show the other day. The guest on that talk show was a Christian believing man and his son who describes himself as a humanist. And when the, when the MC, when the host asked him what he meant, he says, well, he says, I'm doing basically what Jesus says to do. I am living a good life. I love people. I help people. I do all the things that Jesus tells me to do. But I don't need Jesus to tell me to do that. I know on my own that I, that I can do that and I will do that and I'm okay with that. So he took Christ, he took God totally out of the picture, relied on himself to do the things that Jesus tells us to do. So there's no relationship. He's out there on his own. There's no relationship with Christ, no relationship with God. And so I'm not sure what that says about his attachment to the people that he's loving and serving and so forth. Well, it's what Paul, Paul would describe as works righteousness. I, I don't need Jesus because I'm a good enough person myself and I can, I can yeah. save myself in the end. Yeah, that's, that's the whole mentality. So that's a humanist, not a humanitarian. They're, they're way different. So, yeah, but that's, that, that is becoming the new religion in, in, in many ways, yes. And um, very systematic. But, you know, people, yeah, a lot of people do want to be good for themselves. Not precisely. Yeah, they, 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 they want, and that's, that's pride. That's, they, they want the pat on the back. They want the acclaim. They want the, the recognition for, for what they do. And it's just the opposite of what, what, what God wants. There, there's no humility in that. There's no, no, no coming to God and recognizing God as the supreme power here. What that means is that I am the supreme power. And that's, again, in chapter 14, what, what we see. Well, let's try chapter 14. First verse is pretty, pretty nice, isn't it? As bad as things get, God still has compassion for his people. And it appears as though they're going to get another chance. Would you give them another chance? <laughs> well, again, if this were your kid, you know, I've, all the churches I've been at, you know, I've seen a lot of just incredible, incredible people that, you know, even said at one point, that's it, I'm done, but that's eh, my kid, and I'll come back and help him. So it just just happens all the time. So God, God is giving his kids another chance. So pay attention in this chapter now, because th this chapter says that the, the death and destruction of tyrants is a good thing. There is joy in the death of a proud tyrant who has oppressed the poor, widows, and orphans. That's the same charge against the Jews, notice. Right? Again, the, 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 the universal nature of God. It's not just I'm picking on certain countries. If you exhibit these types of behaviors, then you are all in the same boat. Whether you're my people or not, 
the consequence is still the same. So the punishment for these Babylonians because of what they have done for the widows, poor, and the orphans is the exact same thing as what God has said in the first 11 chapters to the Jews. You continue this way, I'm going to wipe you out. Now, as bad as it is, verses 1 to 3, nonetheless, take heart, O Israel, because there's going to come a day when all these great empires will stop their rampage over, over the Holy Land. So the, the, they're described as a, as a forest in verses 4, four to 8, that you know, these, these uh, empires are coming and, and cutting them down, down to the, down to the stump. But that go back to chapter 11, that, that image of the, the stump of Jesse is still alive. Right? There's still life that can come out of that. So even with, with the, the tree cut, nevertheless, there is something good that, that, that can come out of it. Now, verses 9 to 11 are really interesting. I mean, this is an ominous picture of hell. I mean, what this is saying is that these great tyrants killed thousands and millions of people and essentially sent them to hell. And now those that the tyrant sent to hell rise up to come to welcome the tyrant into hell. <laughs> Basically saying, nan, 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 boo, boo, boo. you know, you get the same punishment we get. You, you thought you were so strong. You thought you were so smart. But look what happened. You get the same punishment we get. Those leaders, uh, uh, verse 11, you know, they, they, great pomp in their life, you know, ceremonies, and you know, they were revered and all of that, and now in the end, look, look at that. Now you're just full of maggots. <laughs> I say, pretty graphic stuff here. Blah. Verse 12 will keep you up nights. Uh, great scholars have, have battled over this for, for, for many years. Uh, it's fairly commonly accepted today that this is a description of Satan. Um, now in Revelation, Jesus is described as the bright morning star, but capital M and capital S morning star. This is a small M and a small S, uh, but obviously a person who has been cast down to the earth who laid low the nations. Um, that's almost exactly the description of Satan in the Bible. So it seems pretty clear that th this is who we're talking about. So the tyrants seem to be the leaders. They thought they were gods, but actually they were simply following Satan. So isn't that how we describe our relationship with Jesus? It's in our mission statement for crying out loud. To know, love, follow, right? So it... The point is, who are you following? There are, are, are two persons vying for your allegiance. Who you're going to follow? Jesus and Satan. Those are your only two choices. Nobody in the middle. Nobody half good and half bad. Right? So it's either you know, the, the, the goodness of God in Jesus or pure evil in Satan. Who are you going to follow? So Satan is depicted as the one now who ultimately is responsible for leading and creating a desire in the hearts of these tyrants to follow him. And again, if you're dumb enough to follow, then the, the, the consequence is the same as if you were the leader. 
Because read in Revelation, what happens to Satan? He's cast into the lake of fire. What happens to all of everybody who follows Satan? For the battle, battle on the plains of Megiddo. They too are cast into the lake of fire, right? The exact same consequence for the leader and the followers. That's how it works. That's the way it always has been. That's the way it always will be. So verse 12 that leads you into uh, verses 13 to 14, which I, I see is probably the, the best definition of sin you will ever come across. Sin is simply wanting to be God yourself. That's what original sin was. Satan, the serpent, talks them into eating the one fruit that God says do not touch that based on one thing only. If you eat it, you will be like God. You will understand the difference between good and evil. You will be like God. And they said, I want to be like God. Chomp. And there they go. The Tower of Babel, same thing. We'll build a tower up to heaven, amass our army and take over, defeat God, and then we will be God's ourselves. So you know, that play that into now all the, 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 the great uh, religions from ages gone by. I mean, we still make movies about these, you know, uh, Greek mythology, you know, Mount Olympus, uh, you know, just all those gods, right, that are up high. Look, look what we see in, in these verses. You know, I will rise above. I will be, I will be above all. I will be up with the gods. That concept of, you know, in this sense, it, it makes it sound like I will be the only god, but those other religions had multiple gods. You know, one guy was kind of in charge, but everybody else were, they were immortal, so you know, what do you do with that? Uh, just absolutely in, in, incredible. But that, that arrogance for disregarding God is the core of every sin recorded in the Bible. It's the core of every sin today. I can do that sin because I disregard God, because I think I am God myself. I don't need God. That's the true nature of sin. So the person who rejects God bases that rejection on these four principles. Verses 13 to 14. Let me go down the list. I'll make it personal. I will rule above the stars. We convince ourselves that, that I will rule above the stars. Number two. I will sit on the highest mountaintop and rule over all others. Number three. I will rise above the clouds above heaven itself. Look how great I am. And number four, I will become equal to God himself. End of verse 14. I will make myself like the most high. <laughs> now, does that not sound rather arrogant and prideful? <laughs> but again, that's, that's the nature of sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Mostly Eve. No. But this is what sin does. And as, as Jim was describing, these, these, you know, this humanist religion and you know, so many others today that are just offshoots of that, slight variations of that, is based on this. This is what they're saying. Look how good I am. And Jesus makes it so clear. Yeah, goodness has nothing to do with it. It all depends on 
your belief that Jesus rose from the dead and is your Savior. The Bible says that if you use your mouth and use those words, you're good to go. Keep doing that on a day-to-day -day basis. You can't do it just one day. You have to do it every day. <laughs> Better clarify that. Did that when I was 16. I'm good. Not a lot of people believe that. You know, all I got to do is say I stand up, believe once, and get baptized, and doesn't matter what else I do. Well, I got to get a real come up sometime here later. So that's the nature of sin, and that's that's what these Babylonians are guilty of. And again, any of us, anybody in this world today who who adopts that type of attitude, will suffer the same penalty. Now, verses 16, or 15, go to, go to 15, because God has a response to that. Basically, oh, sorry, that's not what's going to happen. Instead, I will bring you down to the grave to the depths of the pit, because I have the last word. Remember? So you can puff yourself up all you want. In the end, God has a really sharp pin, and will burst that bubble so fast it won't even be funny. And if that, see, the point of it is, if that's, if that's all you are, if all you are is puffed up pride, that when God pops you and releases that, what is left? Nothing. Certainly nothing good. Nothing holy. Therefore, that's why a person like that does not get to go to heaven. Instead, what, what does the you know, New Testament especially keep talking about? That we are filled with Christ. So we're not, you know, one, you know, one-dimensional persons that are just you know, prideful. We are filled with with all that Christ Himself is, which is just a thousand different things, filled. So that when God pops us, we're like a pinata. All the good stuff comes out then, right? That's what God wants for us. Verses sixteen to twenty. God is so offended by the arrogance of sin that these Babylonians are, are demonstrating that they will not even have a proper burial. You know, they're going to you know, pass by a mass grave and the king is laying there on top and they're not going to pull him out and say, well, at least, at least we should honor our king and, and give him a proper burial. It's so bad that the children, the descendants of this great culture is just going to be forgotten. Now, this section re reminds me of what's been described at least twice in Scripture. That the sins of the parents will stick around, be passed on for three or four generations. But the blessing of godly parents will stick with the kids for, for a thousand years. That's pretty cool. The bottom line is God is saying... If you think you're all puffed up that you are great, I will bring you low. Well, it sounds an awful lot like what Jesus says. The first shall be last. If you think you are first, then I'll put you in the back of the line. Uh, Jesus tells a story about, you know, you go to a big party and you see the, the, the best seat in the house open, the seat of honor and dignity and all of that. You just go and just assume, well, I'm good enough to sit there. 
And then someone better than you comes along, more important than you, and the host has to come and whisper in your ear, get out of that seat. Somebody, somebody more important than you is here. Now the only seat left is in the back, right? That's what's going to happen. And that's why for all the years I've been here that uh, when we could get to Vacation Bible School and we have the meal out there, I drill it into the kids that I will watch when you get in line to eat. If you run or push your way to get in line first, I will simply come and pick you up and take you to the very back of the line with me. And believe it or not, I've not had to invoke that very often because I did it once and the kids, oh, okay, he really means that. That's a good biblical lesson to learn. <laughs> right? if, you, if you think you are, you are so important that you get to be the front of the line, if you get you know, whatever first, there's going to come a point where God's going to straighten you out. So I would rather straighten you out now at age six than wait till you're 75 and appearing before God in judgment. So let's see if we can get, to get, get that straight today. Starting in verse 24, we're going to shift gears. We're going to, we're going to leave Babylon and now go to the Assyrians. Again, they're the ones current uh, that uh, Israel is trying to make an alliance with. Notice here it says, as it has already stated, that God has made a plan and there's nothing any of us can do about it. So there's, there's no whining or fussing on our part that is going to change the mind of God. This is what I'm going to do. So again, knowing that that is the plan and nothing can change that, does that sound smart on our part to just go along with that plan? I mean, that's not rocket science, kids. Uh, look at verse 26 in particular. There's this focus upon the Assyrians that God says, all right, you're prideful too, I'm going to take you out. But notice what he's saying is to all nations. Again, the universal policy of God. Anybody, including my people Israel, if you act like this, then the result will be the same for you. It simply once again reinforces how, how reliable and, and consistent God is. So that we don't have to wonder. I wonder what God's going to do in this situation. He has done it. He is doing it. He will continue to do the exact same thing. God has a rule. And the rule simply states that if you reject God, God will have the last word. Verse 27, essentially saying God has a plan and there's nothing any of us can do to change it. I mean, the theme just keeps coming back to us. So bottom line is you better get right with God or you're going to be left. Thanks for getting that. So just in that short passage about the Assyrians, now compare that to what God has already said to the Babylonians, what God has already said to the Israelites. Is this the same message? Sure. It's the exact same thing. And we're going to go through all these different other cultures and the message is going to be exactly the same for them. See, the consistency and reliability of God. I love that. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to question. There's no exception to this rule. Trust me, if he's going to do it with his own people, he's going to do it to all these other guys. Everybody is the same. God shows no favoritism. 
So then we start in verse 28. The focus now moves to the Philistines. Remember the Philistines. They're still around. I mean, they're just the, the perennial thorn in Israel's side. And they're back again. Verse 30. Again, in these cultures, God is still very concerned with the plight of the poor, widows, and orphans. So here God states that he's going to take care of the poor who have been so abused by the Philistines. Keep in mind, God said the same thing to the Jews, right? He said the same thing to the Babylonians. I'm seeing a theme here. These are simply universal truths that God makes it clear he's not going to change on. Last verse, 32. Very key verse. Destruction is everywhere. And yet God establishes a place for any faithful person to come to who is willing to humble themselves to repent and they will find refuge. God will have a place of safety and security. Now that's very humbling. That's going to have to be to admit that my way is not the right way. And God's way is the right way. And for us humans, that's we have a hard time with that. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. But God says, if you're the few of you that are willing to do that, here's a place that you can come to. God is saying that the, the Jews don't need to make an alliance with the Philistines to defeat the Babylonians. Again, this is way in the future. But God knows that they're going to want to make they're going to want to join with the Medes and the Philistines, the Persians, the bigger picture, to then defeat the Babylonians. And God says, don't ally yourself with the Philistines because guess what? I'm taking them out real fast. Right? Another two weeks, they're going to be gone. So that's a really bad military move. Just simply place your trust in me, God says and I'll take care of you. So that, that's the problem the Jews have always had. Simply trying to replace God. Finding other means to do what God says, I'm more than willing to do for you. It just, it's unbelievable. Ahaz doesn't get it. A bunch of other kings aren't going to get it. Finally, Hezekiah is going to bring it back around again. And we can be thankful for that. But it's a long time coming. So strap yourself in. All kinds of bad things are ensuing coming up. Next week we'll look at the Moabites. They're not nice people either. And God has something to say to them. So any thoughts on chapter 14? Yes, I'm glad he put uh, verse 32 in there. Yes. Because all this judgment and evil just kind of bringing a cloud over everything. Holy cow. See, that's the remnant. There's always, there's always something. Yeah, you, you might have to look hard for it. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's not, not going to be something really big, but it'll be something small. But it will be true God for any and all who are willing to, to come to it. And that's, that's the beauty of it. You see the same thing in Revelation. You know, after, after the rapture, Two witnesses are sent. And 
but nobody nobody accepts that. But God always keeps giving chance after chance after chance till finally, ain't no more chances. And that day is coming. So I say, let's get ready. Anything else in chapter 14? It's reminded me a bit of Revelations. In yeah. You talk about different countries versus specific churches and the problems that are yeah. going to happen there. But again, the universality of it, yeah. it's all pretty much the same thing. Yeah. It's just sin in its various forms. Mm -hmm. And the, the interesting thing is that the result's always the same. Yeah. Sin results in spiritual death. Period. Anything else? Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Um, so much of this as we study it uh, leads me to think back to uh, the founding fathers of this country mm -hmm. that you know, they turned to God for some divine guidance and writing the Constitution. There was some fear of God in those guys, right? You know, and I think this made me think back to, and I don't know if it was Washington that said it or not, uh, beware of foreign entanglements. Yes. I, you know, for, yes, good point. Yep, and exactly what you're talking about. Think, well, you know, they, they, our founding fathers were using Bible and God for guidance, and that's just another, to me, that's another example of it, you know, because in essence, that's that's what this is all about, you know, uh, hooking up with, with another country or going against another country for for the wrong reasons, or, or just... I, I would further define it as uh, the distinction between a godly nation and a godless nation. Yes. Okay. There. Yeah. So yeah. So we want to ally ourselves with 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 with, with similar godly nations yes. and avoid any alliance with a godless nation like Iran and Russia, right? But, you know, just because no no good can come from this. Now we, we don't want to do anything to, to make them mad, but by the same token, we we don't want to uh, ally ourselves with them. That because that means that then they get stuff and you know we don't want to we don't want you to have that. That's yeah, it's the, the whole idea is of, is the enemy of my enemy not my friend. Yes, you know that's that's that that, that that'll get you into a lot of hot water. Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. And and I think our early early looked at that. Yeah, and, and took that into consideration, and that has slowly. Disappeared, which is one of the ways where, where this country has veered away from. We, God. we have the strength in ourselves, and we, we certainly don't have to lie with, with godless nations. It, no, no good can come from this. Yep. <coughs> well, good stuff. Another fun, exciting, and informational session. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.